This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Have you ever been driving down the road sort of in a daze automatically, listening to the radio or letting your mind wander? Then you discover as you reach a corner, oh no, I'm not supposed to go here or I'm not supposed to go to work today. I'm going to some other place. Most of us have had that experience. We get used to getting in the car and heading toward our usual destination. At some point, we realize we're not heading where we want to go. Habit has taken over. That's true for all of us. We get in a habit of doing one thing or another, and it's just sort of automatic. One of the dangers of this is that sometimes we need to have a mid-course correction. If you follow that GPS, the times you know when you'll hear the recorded voice saying, Uh, correction or recalculation, and they're trying to get you to turn around. In a spiritual sense, there's something that we think of. It's called conversion. And what that means is to turn from going one way and turn another. In other words, becoming a Christian, really, is what it's talking about. Let me ask you, are you a Christian? Well, what is a Christian? If, if I were to ask you to tell me what it is to make one a Christian, what would you say? Well, let me ask you a different question. Are you a church member? Well, there's not so much difficulty in answering that question, is there? The first question, which I ask, is far more important, though, than the second question. Now, why is there so much confusion on this subject? Billy Graham said many years before he passed away that he received hundreds of letters which indicated confusion over what it meant to be saved. This morning I want us to go back to the basics, if we may, and look once again at this all-important question. And my desire today is to make this matter so very plain that even the youngest person will be able to understand what the Bible means by the term conversion. Actually, the word conversion means to turn around, to change one's mind. It means to turn back. In the Bible, conversion means a total involvement of all that a person is or has or ever hopes to be. It's not enough just to say, well, all right, I will believe. I will agree to some facts with my mind. There's a great big difference between mental agreement to an idea, which does not save a person, and what the Bible calls real conversion, which does save one. As we begin thinking on this subject, I want to say just a word about something which is a real problem for many people here. This is concerning the matter of emotions or the feelings that some people get. There are those who will not give themselves to God because they say they do not have that special feeling down inside. On the other hand, there are literally thousands of people who have had some form of emotional experience, which they refer to as salvation or conversion, and yet these may never have truly been saved or converted. 
from a personal standpoint, my own conversion was not what you would call an emotional experience. As a young boy in bed one night, after I'd already said my nighttime prayers of now I lay me down to sleep, I had another little prayer. It was not something which I prayed openly with my lips, but it was something like a silent prayer down in my heart. In that prayer, I told God that I wanted him to have my life, that I was trusting in Jesus to save me from my sins, and that I wanted to give my heart to him. And when I expressed this sincere prayer to God in the bed all by myself one night, I did not see any flashing lights. I did not see any stars falling from the sky. I did not hear an angel chorus singing. I did not fall out of bed, jump up and down with joy, or feel a rosy glow somewhere down in my chest. In this sense, I would have to say that my own experience of conversion was not a great emotional ecstatic event. When we sometimes see those who are strong on the emotional side of life, then those who may not be so inclined can sometimes be quick to denounce all emotion as bad. Why must we hide behind a wall and say that all emotions are wrong? Have you ever seen a program on TV or watched a movie or been to a ball game in which you felt that surge of emotion well up inside you? It wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad. It was an honest feeling that you need not be ashamed of. Why then do we sometimes feel that we must scorn all emotion when it comes to our spiritual life? I think I understand why many people claim not to like emotion when it comes to their faith. Sometimes this is all there is, just a lot of sobbing, but no real change down within. We've all seen perversions of emotionalism, and many of us reject that as being hypocritical, false, and shallow. Now, of course, we cannot judge the sincerity of an experience with God just by some outward emotional expression. Somebody once well said, it's not a matter of how high you jump when Christ enters your life, but it is a question of how straight you walk when you come back down to earth. To be converted means that Christ demands a change in your way of living, in your attitudes, and subsequently in your actions. If your life does not conform to what you claim to have experienced, then you have every right in the world to doubt the sincerity or the reality of your salvation. One who is truly a Christian is a changed person. Now, in order for us to clear up some of the wrong ideas about what it means to be saved, let's approach this from the other side for just a minute. First, you cannot assume that you are a Christian because a member of your family is. Kinship with the saved does not ensure your own salvation. Your mother may have been a saint. And your father may have been a preacher. But unless you have truly experienced a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're still lost. God doesn't have any grandchildren. In Matthew 18:3, we read the words of Jesus as he said, Except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
No, you're not a Christian just because somebody in your family is. Secondly, you cannot become a Christian just by living a clean life morally. So often in talking with people, I have had the opportunity of hearing what they think it means to be a Christian. You might be surprised at some of the answers I get when I ask people about their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Many say things like, well, preacher, I, I say my prayers every night, or I try to do the best I can. I try to pay my debts and be honest with everybody, and so many things like this. It's wonderful to see people who try to live a clean, upright life. But being kind to dumb animals and helping old ladies across the street is not enough. A person might do a hundred wonderful things to help others. And this might have no connection whatsoever with the fact that Jesus died on a cross some 2,000 years ago to save that person from their sins. It is true that when a person is a Christian, there will naturally be a desire to live the right kind of life. But you can do all these wonderful things and even more and still not be a Christian. Third observation, you cannot become a Christian by joining a church. You may join all the churches in the world if that were possible, but this in itself would not save you. You've heard the phrase, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. Hell is going to be filled with church members, people who thought that it was enough just to have their names on the roll of some church. John Wesley once dreamed that he was at the gates of hell. He knocked and asked, are there any Roman Catholics here? Yes, there are many Roman Catholics here in hell, was the reply. Well, are there any here from the Church of England? Again, the reply was affirmative, yes. And as he named off several other denominations, he received the same answer for each. Oh, yes, there are many of that denomination who are here. Finally, he got up enough courage to ask the question, are there any Wesleyans here? That was his denomination. The answer was the same. Yes, we have many who go by the denom denomination which is named after you, John Wesley. So disappointed and dismayed, especially at this last reply, John Wesley turned his steps upward and found himself now at the gate of heaven. Here he repeated the same questions he had asked at the gates of hell to the first groups, the answers were all the same. No, we have no Roman Catholics. We have no Church of England. We have no Wesleyan, all the way. Hoping there would be many Wesleyans in heaven, he asked, well, are, really, are there any Wesleyans here? He was shocked to hear the same answer once more. No, not a one. Then who do you have up here? He asked in astonishment. The angel replied, we do not know of any here who go by those names you have used. The only name which we know here in heaven is the name Christian. A fourth observation, you cannot become a Christian by holding an office in a church. 
Sometimes a person is elected to a position of leadership in a church. And the statement is made to the effect that now I'm going to try to live up to the confidence that people have shown in me. I'm going to try to be a Christian. Well, Christianity is not based on anything that you can do in this regard. No doubt there'll be many church officers who will face God in that day who will be told, depart from me. I never knew you. What is true of those who hold elected office in the church is also true of those who are called to serve a church such as pastor. This is, that's not good enough to bring salvation. Just saying that you'll be a preacher. You remember Paul, the great apostle, cried out, Woe is me, lest having preached to others, I myself should be cast away. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Bishop John Taylor Smith, who was a former chaplain general in the British Army, was preaching once in a large cathedral on the text, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so in order to drive his point home, he said, My dear people, do not substitute anything for the new birth. You may be a member of a church, but church membership is not the same as new birth. And he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course, that phrase born again has fallen into disfavor with many of us, but it means to be born from above, have a new birth. And on the left of Bishop John Taylor Smith, as he was speaking that day, sat the archde archdeacon in his pew. And pointing his finger directly at him, the bishop said, you might even be an archdeacon like my friend here. And if you have not been born again, and except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or you might be a, even a bishop like myself, he said, and not be born again. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A day or so later, the bishop received a letter from the archdeacon in which he wrote, My dear bishop, you have found me out. I have found me out. I have been a clergyman for over 30 years, but I had never known anything of the joy that Christians speak of. I could never understand it. Mine has been hard legal service. I did not know what was the matter with me, but when you pointed directly at me and said, you might even be an archdeacon and not be born again, I realized in a moment what the terrible truth was. I had never known anything about the new birth of being born from above. And then he went on to say that he was wretched and miserable. He'd been unable to sleep all night. He begged for a conference if the bishop could spare the time to talk with him. Of course, I could spare that time, said Bishop Smith. And the next day we went over the word of God and after some hours, we were both down on our knees and the archdeacon taking his place before God as a poor lost sinner, telling the Lord Jesus he would trust him as his savior. And from that time on, everything has been different. 
Let me make another observation. You cannot become a Christian by giving your money to God. Oh, preacher, are you saying that? <laughs> yes, that's right. You know the name Colonel Harlan Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. In his autobiography, he says that he was always a God-fearing man. In every venture, he gave God a tenth of all of his profits. Yet he knew that if he died, he probably would not go to heaven. He became more and more worried about his soul's salvation. He even traveled to Australia to go to a special church convention to try to find the answer he was seeking in life, but he didn't find it there. One day, Colonel Sanders was walking down a street in Louisville, Kentucky, when a man walked up to him and invited him to attend some evangelistic services in a church. Several days later, he went, and at age 79, Colonel Sanders claimed the promise of Romans 10, 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He said, when I walked out of that church that night, I knew I was a different man. All my tithing and good deeds had never given me the sense of God's presence that I knew right then. And so this brings us to the heart of the matter. Just to say that you believe some things about Jesus is not enough. One man said to a church member, do you believe in God? He answered, yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins? Yes. Do you believe that God can forgive you? And the answer again was yes. Then the reply was, then I guess you're a Christian. Well, to this, I would say not necessarily so. The devil himself believes all of that. And he trembles at this belief, the Bible tells us. That's James chapter 2, verse 19. A drowning person must do more than believe in life preservers. Some time ago, I watched with fascination as one of those large construction cranes was operating. As I watched, I saw two men get into the bucket and ride down from a high place where they'd been working. The operator of the crane gently lowered the men down to the ground, finally depositing them safely on level ground. Can you imagine a conversation that could have gone on before those two men got into that bucket? One says, the crane operator has moved the bucket here for us to get on. Let's go. The other man says, well, I certainly do believe in the strength of that steel cable holding up that bucket. So the first man gets in and tells his friend, come on, join me. And then the other man says, well, that's a mighty secure bucket you're in. I have no doubt it can hold us both securely. Fine, said the first who was in the bucket. Hop in. Oh, I really do trust that guy up there who's operating the crane. He's got a steady hand. He's got nerves of steel. He's got a perfect record of safety in his work. But all this time, the man refuses to get into the bucket. Does this remind you of some who talk a good game, but who refuse to commit themselves, their lives to Jesus, trusting in him with all that they have and are? The Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit thy way 
unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Becoming a Christian begins with a decision which you make with your mind. You decide you want to give your life to Jesus to receive his forgiveness, which he provides for you through his shed blood. You do not have to compile a list of 10 or 20 good things that you're going to do or even 30 bad things you're going to quit doing. Becoming a Christian is not based on your goodness or your badness. It's based on your taking away the reserve signs from your life. If you buy a ticket to a concert where there's reserved seating, then only you have the right to sit in that seat. If a parking space is reserved just for you, then only you are allowed to park there. It is reserved. All of us tend to put reserved signs around parts of our lives. We draw little curtains around certain areas, marking off the boundaries which even God is not allowed to cross. Salvation, conversion, whatever you want to call it, means the removal of these reserved signs. It is taking hands off of our lives, allowing God to use all that we have and are. And this decision can be made in a moment, but then comes a long process of God's growing us to be in his likeness. And so the most important question any of us will ever face is the one that we face right now. Are you really saved? Have you been converted? Do you know Jesus Christ more than just as a historical or biblical figure? What is your answer right now? Oh God, help us to give the right answer, not just intellectually, but with our whole being. Yes, Lord, I'm taking the reserve signs off of any area in my life. I want Jesus to be my Savior. Lord, may this prayer be our prayer. We pray in his name. Amen.